But these days, it's much, much broader. And the companies we work with, we guide them to think about visible and invisible aspects of diversity. We we also broaden it to think about generational difference, which is really having an impact on the workplace. Um, we are having a, you know, there's a whole gender conversation around gender identity and expression and identifying as not non-binary or gender non-conforming, which um, is, is a growing percentage of the workforce, particularly the young workforce. Welcome to the Well Woman Show, the only podcast that supports you to use mindfulness, feminism, leadership, and strategy so you can be healthy and connect deeply with the people you love while making money and changing the world. And now here's your host, London School of Economics grad, feminist thought leader, red chili enthusiast, mom and work-life integration coach, Giovanna Rossi. Hello, hello, well women. I am thrilled to be bringing you a show all about leadership today. And I'm going to introduce my guest in just a moment, but I found this conversation to be very interesting and enlightening. And uh, I've been working in the leadership area for a long time. And I think Jennifer really adds to the conversation in her unique way. And I'm excited to to share that conversation with you. She is the founder and president and CEO of Jennifer Brown Consulting and the host of the Will to Change podcast. Her best-selling book, Inclusion, Diversity, the New Workplace, and the Will to Change creates the case for leaders to embrace the opportunity that diversity represents for their own growth and for the success of their organizations. Her new book, out this month, if you're listening to this as this publishes in August. Her new book is How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive. And that, as I said, is released in August 2019. On the show today, we talk about how to be a diverse and inclusive leader in the workplace. And we talk a little bit about her book and what it's bringing to the conversation about workplace and how to bring inclusion and diversity, both visible and invisible to communities. And this I love because a lot of the inclusion and diversity that Jennifer personally has experienced and and lives on a daily basis is actually invisible. And so we talk about that. Um, You can find all the information and links mentioned today at wellwomanlife.com slash 175 show. You can also continue the conversation in the Well Woman Life community group at wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook. The Well Woman Show is thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico and High Desert Yoga in Albuquerque. Now to my interview with Jennifer Brown. I'm speaking with Jennifer Brown this morning. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. Jennifer, I want to start by asking you, what are you working on and how does it impact women's lives? Oh, uh, well, I am a obviously a, a female voice. I'm also an LGBT voice out in the in the world. I keynote a lot. I'm on my second book now. And I'm also a business owner. And I just think we are way too rare in a lot of those arenas, all of those arenas, honestly. Um, You know, I've grown my business to have a team of 25. You know, we're very established. And and that alone, I think, um, puts me in a very, very small percentage of female business owners. So we're actually certified as um, woman-owned and also LGBT-owned. 
and operated, which is really important to me. It's it's sort of is the supplier diversity concept, meaning, you know, you you submit all your paperwork and you um, are then a vendor or a supplier that's sought out by a lot of large companies that are looking to diversify their supply chain. So we are we're just very proud to be in that mix, and we've actually built a lot of relationships through through those certifications and through you know hearing about bid opportunities and and winning contracts and things like that. So um, so I think that the visibility that female owners and founders who are established, who've succeeded in scaling their business is really important. We need to see more of those role models. Um, and then as an author on leadership books, you know, go to any Barnes and Noble, look at all the books on the shelf and not particularly the books on the table, right? Those are the really big deal books. And most of them were written by men. And so I, I, my goal is, and I hope that this is happening and, um, but my, my future goal is to be considered a leadership expert, you know, be considered somebody who's consulted, not just on diversity and inclusion, but that DNI is part of actually the leadership conversation. And yeah, I mean, yes, it's a very important part. So, um, yeah, so all these things, I think being a woman living all these lives that I'm living, um, keynote stage, same thing, you know, I think we're underpaid as keynoters. Um, when you look at any speakers bureau, um, you look at panelists, um, particularly for large conferences and the high ticket, high ticket keynoters, particularly they're all men. Uh, so anyway, so we're breaking through lots of boundaries. <laughs> so Jennifer, um, what, uh, how are, how do you define diversity and inclusion? Cause you, you identified, you know, in the conversation just now as female and as a part of the LGBT community. So in your work, uh, how do you define that? Yeah, well, it means um, gender and sexual orientation are two dimensions of many dimensions, um, many of which are invisible. So traditionally defined, you know, as we've been talking about it historically in the workplace, it was driven by protected classes, the way we talked about diversity and, and by affirmative action. So clearly that was gender and ethnicity. But these days it's much, much broader. And the companies we work with, we guide them to think about visible and invisible aspects of diversity. We, we also broaden it to think about generational difference, which is really having an impact on the workplace. Um, we are having a, you know, there's a whole gender conversation around gender identity and expression and identifying as not non-binary or gender non-conforming, which um, is, is a growing percentage of the workforce, particularly the young workforce. Uh, we also talk about veteran status as something that a lot of people try to hide um, very in, in in very similar ways to other elements of diversity because of the stigma associated with um, having a background as a veteran, which um, you know that's a whole other podcast. But <laughs> um, so I've, I've really there are people with diverse abilities or disabilities, um, and there's a lot of stigma that's actually very similar between the LGBTQ community and the people with disabilities community. Um, we many of us can, some of us can hide who we are and we can sort of go through life and pass, um, as you know, not a person with a disability and not an LGBTQ person. And so in the workplace, we, um, when you can elect to pass, some of us do because we just don't trust our employer and our colleagues with that, or HR with that information because we don't, we're not picking up on signals on the culture that we're going to be embraced for who we are. So, um, and that's, that's particularly tragic. We, we work a lot on that and try to think about 
how can we build workplace cultures where all of us feel comfortable bringing our full selves to work? You know, where are we on that journey? And, and that's literally what we focus on with our clients. Okay. And so you said you have 25 people working in your company. Do they represent all of these diversities that, that you talk about? Yes, they do. They do. They're wonderful. Um, we even have some straight white men on our team. And um, <laughs> I know it might surprise some people, but funny enough, occasionally a client will say, hey, do you have any straight white guys that you can send on this on this project to speak to these leaders? Because, you know, we've, we've tried to broach this topic of diversity and there, there's a lot of resistance. And, and so we really, yeah, we get that request. Oh, so they're, they're more credible. Some, sometimes they're more credible with it, depending on the audience. Indeed, indeed. Um, and that, that works both ways. I mean, it works always. Sometimes our clients will say, you know, we, uh, we need a, for sure, we need a woman of color to come in or, or this particular identity to present. Sometimes they don't, they don't think I'm the right, right fit exactly for what they need. Um, and I identify as a white woman, right? Um, LGBTQ person, woman, uh, cisgender. Uh, so anyway, we, we maintain that bench. Yeah. That is interesting because when, when, when you look at your company, it is very much, uh, centered around diversity and inclusion. And then as you said, you're a white woman. And so that must create some, kind of like questions because the most visible, um, like you were saying, there are visible and invisible uh, elements or diversities and, and the most visible is like, you know, your skin color. So how, how do you handle that? Right, right, right. Yeah. Well, as a keynoter, I um, like any crisis management person or PR person will tell you, you need to get ahead of the narrative, right? You don't, you want to make sure you name what people are thinking so that it doesn't form into sort of that hard resistance to your message. So the second I walked on stage, first of all, I reveal that I was a failed opera singer um, and I had to get surgery on my voice multiple times and had to give up my dream and had to reinvent into what I do now, which I'm so fortunate to have discovered. Uh, really, I thought everything was lost. Um, and so I start with that very personal, very vulnerable story. And I actually play a clip of myself singing with orchestra that nobody, nobody attributes to me as I walk on the stage, because that's not what an opera singer looks like. Right. And then it just goes from there. Then I come out, nobody can believe it. You know, <laughs> I, you know, and then I talk about, um, Hey, I'll bet, I'll bet this is not what you thought your diversity speaker would look like, you know, and then we talk about it, you know, and I, I bring it up and honestly, I, um, it has never, I, I move quickly through those pieces, but I think they serve, they serve to make the point about invisible diversities, uh, in a very powerful way, which I think is an important point. And, and it really checks people on their biases to the vast majority. And I don't put it in my bio sometimes that I'm LGBTQ. So it very much packs a punch in terms of people's assumptions, and once you crack open people's hearts and minds like that, they are very much listening to you. They're like, okay, you got me. <laughs> you got me like in multiple ways. Like, what are you here to tell me? Um, and I don't, you know, nor can I hide my whiteness, right? So we talk about it. Um, and I say, and I talk about my intersectionality um, in, 
in a slight twist, which is if any of your listeners know, Kimberly Crenshaw coined that word to describe the intersections of multiple stigmatized identities. So she did it in a way to talk about the experience of women of color or queer women of color versus a white woman, say, who's cisgender and straight. Um, and these overlapping aspects of, of identity that are traditionally marginalized, underrepresented, and the sort of trickiness of navigating that. Um, and and in, an, in, a, in an effort to sensitize a lot of us to the fact that, you know, women are not a monolith. And I know that this shouldn't need to be pointed out, but it does. I find myself teaching a lot about this. I um, mean, it's been really illuminating to me as a white woman to go on this journey and understand what's different for women of color and specifically different ethnicities within women of color, because women of color are not a monolith, right? And so if we're all this combination of like privileged and less privileged, for lack of a better word, identities, um, that's kind of how I how I take the liberty with the word intersectionality. And I share that on stage and I say, some of my identities allow me a certain ease in terms of walking through the world, in terms of being listened to. And those identities come with the responsibility of speaking up. They come with the responsibility of getting into the room and telling the truth or challenging power or, you know, representing other stories that aren't heard because I may be in the majority in some rooms, right? Um, people may feel comfortable with me. But then on the other side, you know, being LGBTQ and being a woman, I need my male allies, you know, desperately to do the same thing for me and pull me through and to mention me and talk about me and talk me up and, you know, uh, you know, challenge comments and jokes and, you know, tackle that homophobic thing that's said in the meeting that I don't feel like I'm courageous enough to tackle, and by the way, I shouldn't be always the one to tackle those things. You know, I think we, this is what leads to exhaustion is literally, you know, being the only in the room, being underrepresented, always having the burden of, of, of sort of holding the company to account or holding other leaders to account. It's exhausting. And it's also, by the way, harmful to our image over time, because then we become, you know, the angry or strident or fill in your favorite adjective person. So, you know, you, we really, we have to be allies. We have to ask for allyship, you know, and we, and, and I, that's the way I kind of see my identity in the equation. And I, I feel I have plenty to do, <laughs> you know, when people are like, what are you doing in the work? And why do you, you know, why are you in this work? Shouldn't it just people of color be doing this work? And I, I don't know if we're going to get where we need to go. If, you know, certain groups are like, oh, well, I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, because everybody has something to bring to the to the conversation. It's definitely a, a big, it's a big dialogue and a big problem that people are solving. So I want to ask you, Jennifer, what do you bring as a leader, um, specifically as a woman and as part of the LGBT community and, and just as, as you, as Jennifer Brown, what do you bring to leadership that has been missing or that I, I just, I think a lot of people tend to try to copy male leadership and, um, and that hasn't really worked for us very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's inauthentic. Yes. And it sometimes comes out sort of worse than that masculine norm, right? Because we're, we're doing it un inauthentically. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. Right. So what, do, what is your take on, and how do you approach that? 
Mm, I love that question. Uh, well, I'm deeply collaborative. Um, you know, we were a virtual team. We have no offices. And so, you know, we some somehow kind of hold our team together and create the culture together virtually, which is really hard. And um, I think we're a very kind group of people. Um, we are, um, you know, I tend to not be the controlling micromanager of a boss at all. I mean, I, I hope that's true. <laughs> We'd have to ask my team, but I have, I lead with a really high level of trust, high level. I mean, to the point, I mean, imagine my, our work day to day is for any given day, my team is in classrooms with our clients, leading discussions, facilitating dialogue, making their own decisions about how to solve a certain situation that comes up. They find themselves in tricky, nuanced situations because these are this is a delicate topic we specialize in. And I literally trust them completely to have the right answer for that moment, you know, pulling on their own expertise and, you know, however they want to creatively solve it and move through it. Um, and I don't need to know what that is. Um, and they are totally empowered to do that. So I think that like high trust that I am, I am here to serve my team. And funny enough, I, I love marketing a lot. Actually, I was the consultant, like the, the actual subject matter expert in that room. But over time, I've really grown to be um, the marketer and sort of working on the business and not just in the business. And so I see my role as, as serving my consulting team, honestly, like marketing them, positioning them for success, um, you know, building their credibility, using whatever credibility I have as a brand to enable them to go and do their work. So there's a fine line there because, you, and and you have probably, you know, been figuring this out, but there's a fine line between, you know, the collaborative and trust, which is really important. And then uh, being taken advantage of, or, you know, something like that. So ha have you, <laughs> has, has that happened? And what have you done? Because I think a lot of leaders are trying to, and are naturally more collaborative and more trusting and, and want to be that leader. Um, but, but it is a fine line because you can get into hot water quickly. That's for sure. And I mean, I, I have stories, um, <laughs> and having been in business for 10 years and having committed to grow this business beyond me, like things are going to happen like the wrong people are going to end up on your team. And, and sometimes people are the right person and the wrong person all at the same time. <laughs> right. And, um, there's a reason in a season too, for people to come your way, to jump on board, to do the work, to bring their best thinking and, and intellectual property, or even bringing their own clients, you know, um, and then when they're ready to move on, sometimes it can be tricky to you know, entangle yourselves, um, for sure. Um, and I've made some bad hires in the past. Um, I've trusted the wrong people. I, because I'm such a creative, um, really an evangelist. I mean, I'm, I'm meant to be a keynote speaker, but I'm not an operational leader. So I've always had to staff up very intentionally to support that lack of operational know-how um, and my lack of affinity for that work and lack of affinity for finance as well. So um, uh, it's as a woman business owner, I think you're very exposed to hiring the wrong people because you get less guidance, particularly, you know, 10 years ago when I was just starting out, I was coming out of literally like 
having been an opera singer and an artist. And who, who shows you how to do this? Nobody, like nobody. And, and meanwhile, what happened to me was, you know, I, I've always been very good at building my brand and lots of business came my way very quickly and I had to scale. And so when you have to scale, these are the times when you make kind of risky employment decisions, honestly, because you just don't, you have to fill for this. You've got to backfill this. You've got to do this. You've got to trust people quickly. You have to put them in the, in the room with a client without knowing a lot about them. Um, so, so I think it's sort of the blessing and the curse of who I am is that, that, you know, I have a great network. I, you know, I've had way, way, way more positive hires than not. So I'll say that for sure, for sure. But I have also, yeah, I've also, you know, had some pretty tricky situations with, you know, people stealing clients, for example. Okay. But this is really good to hear for listeners because sometimes we see successful leaders, uh, keynote speakers, uh, you know, you're an author, and we think, oh my gosh, you know, she's just got it all figured out. And it's actually, it's actually really good to hear that that we all struggle with the, these things, and it's okay to make mistakes, and then just jump back on, and well, learn from the mistake first of all, and then you know, course correct, and and not beat yourself up about it. Um, I, I, oh yeah, I've done all of those things. I mean, yeah, it can be really discouraging. I. And, and, you know, growing a company beyond you as a solo practitioner is not for everyone. You know, you have to, you have to trust people. I mean, there's like no way. And if you're growing fast, you're going to take risks with people and, you know, you're going to have to apologize to a client if something doesn't go well, you know, you're going to have to, um, you know, deal with when I lost a client to somebody that was on my team years ago, I had to just make up for it by finding three other clients, you know, so you, you literally, or if somebody said, well, that's my IP and you, you know, you, you could use it, but now you can't, then you have to go and invent your own IP, you know? And so you literally have to make lemonade out of lemons all the time. And you've got to kind of be thinking one step ahead of like, is this going to work? And if it doesn't, what's my contingency plan? But, but I think that's why you've got to be marketing so much on the front end in order to ensure that you always have new opportunities. You always have new people to hire in case, you know, you always are investing in that, um, ahead of when you need it. And that's what's, that's why you need to be working on the business, not in the business, because as an owner, you have to be, this is where you should be focusing on is the future. So that when things happen, because they will, you need to be able to turn around quickly. You need to be able to recover. If you need to apologize, if you need to own something, I mean, after ten years of being in business, these all of these things happen, you know. And um, it's been a real learning experience. But um, thank goodness we've made it through. Well, Jennifer, I want to ask you one last question before we go into the segment called Superpowers for Success. And that is uh, your new book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Changing Cultures of Belonging, Where Everyone Can Thrive. Who is this book for and what what is what does it bring that's new and different? Yeah. So I find that people who do what I do and, and are true believers inside companies, you know, employees that are very passionate, we tend to preach to the choir very well. And it's a very comfortable place. Um, it's, you know, it's easy. It's an easy conversation to have. I think I wrote the book because I wanted to figure out how I could get something into people's hands that don't know what I'm talking about. They don't know why it's important and they don't know what their role is in it. And that is honestly 
you know, whether you look at this as a sad fact or a great opportunity, this is, that is the majority of the workplace. It's the majority of the workforce, honestly. So, you know, that book that I can write with, that's a culmination of everything I've tried to reach people about the importance of this topic, but about how it connects to them, whether that's the data and the business case argument, or whether it's a personal story and a moral argument. Um, The book, I hope kind of meets people where they're at and says, you know, this, you might find this topic generates some resistance in you. You may feel badly and some shame about the topic. You may think it has nothing to do with you. Um, or you may think I'm great at this topic. You know, (laughs) I don't need Jennifer's book. There's plenty of people who believe that, um, kind of being sort of generally progressive, um, is, is enough to change cultures, to be cultures of belonging. But actually, that's not true because workplace cultures don't just create themselves. They are, they are moved and crafted and accelerated by each person within them. And so, so for me to say, well, Jennifer, I have daughters. So, you know, or my, my wife has always been a professional woman and works. You know, I'm like, that does not, <laughs> that is not the extent of your responsibility as an inclusive leader, you know, there's, <laughs> and I know this sounds really, <laughs> I know, I know we're all descended from a woman PS, you know, <laughs> so that's not, doesn't get you in, you know, into the hall of fame as, in, as an inclusive leader. So um, the whole message in the book though, is to not shame, to not blame, to meet people where they're at. And by the way, it's not just, the book is not for just straight white cisgender men, although I think they're going to, they should be the biggest audience for it. It's actually for people like you and me who sit here in this world today and say, um, I need to do more. Like, how am I using my voice? Am I doing enough? Like, if I think about the levels of privilege I have, um, who could I be speaking up for or alongside? Or who could I be supporting? Or who could I be intentionally uh, enlisting or telling the story of or educating others about? Like, there is so... There's so many people that don't have a voice, that aren't being heard, that aren't understood, that aren't um, given a platform. And... I think when you walk, again, as we talked about earlier, when you walk through the world with a level of comfort and a level of safety, um, that that's, that's something that we can't take for granted because there's many, many people who can't say that. And so if you're somebody in the workplace and you're leading teams or you're a colleague on a team, you should be constantly looking for opportunities to sort of say time out or to give somebody feedback on a comment that's made or to, um, if you're in a review meeting where you're looking at resumes and somebody, you know, all you're looking at are are resumes by men with Anglo sounding names, you know, you can be that person that says, Hey, why are there any women being interviewed for this position? Or why, you know, why did this person get screened out? Or why are we only looking at people from the school? You know, we, we can be doing that. Well, yeah, that's, that's, Right. Yeah. That's, that's a big question is why aren't there more women in the pool? And then the, the answer is like, well, they weren't as qualified. And then, and then it's like, hmm, we couldn't find them. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jennifer, we're going to take a quick break. And we'll be right back with Jennifer Brown and the superpowers for success. I'm so thankful for support from Natural Awakenings Magazine in New Mexico, a monthly green healthy lifestyle publication. 
and for support from High Desert Yoga, promoting optimum physical health, clarity of mind, and spiritual inspiration for all. Whether you're just starting your journey or you've been on it for months or even years, the Well Woman Jumpstart is a great place to begin. You might want to know, what's the outcome? How will I benefit from this? If you want to reach the income, impact, or intimacy goals you have, you can jump right in with this awesome jumpstart. You'll learn what your unique superpower is, which is super important for everything else you'll be working on in your life. You'll learn proven tools to address your particular challenge. You'll get real clarity about your life and your big goals and challenges. And you'll get to talk to me, Giovanna, one-on-one, and I'll give you feedback and insight specifically on your goal or challenge. If you're ready to jump in, go to wellwomanlife.com slash jumpstart. Okay, we're back with Jennifer Brown with our segment called Superpowers for Success. Jennifer, this is a quick round of questions. And the first one is, what does success in life mean for you? Mm, success means impact for sure. Impact, um, legacy, although I don't say that from an ego perspective. Um, I want legacy to be having literally moved the needle for the clients we work with, for the advocates that we support, um, that we introduce scholarship and research and methodologies that equip the people that do what I do out in the world, um, with things that make their day-to-day lives easier and that, um, you know, allow them to be more effective. So impact for sure. Okay. And when did you know you were really good at what you do? Uh, I've had the company for 10 years. Um, I would say when I have stood in front of audiences to teach them something that feels that that is my, my superpower. Um, facilitating adults in particular. So it's not just teaching anything. It's teaching something like inclusion that I am passionate about that deeply impacts me. I think that makes me more powerful. Uh, But for sure, on a stage, speaking to large groups, could be small groups, but large groups I love as well, and kind of taking them from A to B is something that um, I literally feel like I'm kind of channeling something that's very deep when I do that. And was, can you recall a moment where, where you were standing on stage and it it all clicked for you? Like, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm connecting. I'm totally like, this is where I need to be. Well, yeah, I, I gave a TEDx, my first TEDx talk maybe six years ago and I was so excited about it. And I, it was a thousand people. It was at TEDx Presidio and it was the first time I told the story of losing my voice and having vocal surgery and then coming out to such a large group. And I have to say, I loved it. Um, it was terrifying. It took months to prepare. It was 10 minutes long. You know how TEDx's are, but it was, um, it was definitely an unlock for me to say my story matters. It can be used for good. It can impact people. People will listen. They will care. It has relevance. And like, this is what I was meant to do. And, and that is, that has turned out to be true. (laughs) Okay. Well, Jennifer, you are a busy, busy woman. You're running a big company. You've got a lot going on. Can you describe a personal habit that contributes to your own well-being so that you can do all of what you do in the world? I would say that high trust and having team um, team members, even if it just is a, a part-time assistant and that's what you can do for yourself. Um, w- when we talk about 
that, that mentality of working on the business and not in the business, you can do that as a, as a solo shop, as a solo entrepreneur, you know, you can have that mentality to say, I'm going to delegate one thing somehow to someone and, and they are going to be responsible for that thing. And that means one fewer thing I'm going to need to do. And I think that's how it starts. So if you can possibly do that for yourself, I think that it just, it lifts you out of the day to day, even for that one moment to say, um, give you space to think about like, what do I really want for this business? And also we shouldn't need to do all everything all the time. There's things that we're not good at. And in order to live, right. In order to live in your brilliance, I think business life is about, actually, it's about removing as many things as you can as you grow your team and to really, really do exactly what you are absolutely the best at. And only that, you know, and I think that that has having such a big team now, uh, that's been my goal throughout is to sort of push off, delegate, hire, you handle this, you handle that. And then I can sit here and literally be in my zone. And I think that if you can do that, that actually energizes you. It gives you physical and emotional energy because all of those other things that you're not great at actually zap your energy. They make you fatigued. They're harder for you to do. You know, you want to kill me? I'll be, you know, spreadsheets will kill me. They just, you know. (laughs) Right, right, right. I I hear you on that. So I I talk a lot about delegation actually in the Well Woman Life community because we have, I I have a lot of women who are juggling multiple roles in their life, right? So they have a career or a business and they're taking care of kids or parents or pets or whoever. And they, um, and so I, I actually, I love the idea of delegating. And so we talk about that a lot, even in uh, your personal life, you can delegate, right? So a lot of, a lot of women take on this burden of like, I must do everything. And it's like, no, not really. You can delegate that. Start delegating to your kids. You know, <laughs> yeah, I love that. We should do that more. I know. I mean, I'm not a parent and I have a female partner, right? So I think it's also really interesting to notice the gendered way that we split up things, right? So when you're in a partnership with another woman, it's not, I don't, I don't want to speak for everybody, but literally it is, it is probably the most egalitarian scenario you can have. I mean, there's, there's no gendering going on. Um, and so you have to literally figure out like, you know, what makes, yeah, what makes sense. Right. Um, but yeah, that delegation piece. I mean, also, uh, you know, I study women's leadership a lot too, just like you, we are perfectionists. Right. I think that we in the workplace, like, you know, women just think about this. Women won't apply for a job unless they have a, like 100 percent of the qualifications and men will apply if they have 30 percent of the qualifications. You know, when you think about how well do things really need to be done, like don't make perfect the enemy of the good in your life. And you've got, when I delegate to my team, like I have to trust. And sometimes things are going to be done in a different way. Sometimes they aren't going to work out. Um, but you got to let it go. And I, I think that's really important for women. Like we, we need to, in a way that mimicking of men in this particular case, I think makes a whole lot of sense. Like watch the way men do business. I, I have, I have literally observed, for example, the way they make introductions and network is very different than how women do it. Women need to literally like believe 150% in somebody before you do something for that other woman. Like it has to be this like perfect thing. And the men in my life are constantly like, oh, I want to make this email introduction for you. Take it from here or whatever. Like easy come, easy go. It's kind of like how they go out for beers after like having a giant fight. 
Right. And I think we, we just, I think we need to operate a bit more like that. Like we need to share our social capital more easily. I think women do not play the game of business in the same way. And that's probably a whole other podcast, but um, yeah, that's a very, I have a lot of thoughts on that. And I've tried to, I've just tried to watch how the men do it because by the way, the men dominate the business world, right? So like we, in a way we have to pay attention to how they operate. And and then you have to kind of select, you know, what feels authentic for you. But it's been a really great stretch for me to think about, like, how can I do a little bit more of that? They dominate the business world, but they, they're not necessarily doing a great job at it. So we we have to look, we have, we have to take it with a pinch of salt. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well, so Jennifer, you kind of were alluded to this earlier in the conversation, but I'm going to ask you, what superpower did you discover you had only to realize it was there all the time? I would say that probably bringing my heart so forward in the work I do, I think, and my, and my, my artist self, like my soft, creative artist, vulnerable heart is something you wouldn't think would work in the business world. And particularly as women, I think we're, we're, we guard against bringing that. Right. And I spend my days in the executive boardrooms with a lot of men. Like that's, that is most often my audience. Um, and yet, and yet the world right now and business is also calling for this change that you just alluded to, you know, the rise of female leaders. I mean, God knows we have a long way to go, but we are having the conversations right now. Um, about valuing a, a broader definition of what leadership really looks like and means. And it's been like heavily masculine, like, and you know, whatever definitions we use for that. Um, and so there's a rebalancing going on right now. And, you know, as a business owner, you've got to be tough as nails. You have to know when to mimic the style and the way that others use power so that you can get that seat at the table. But I think that the the soft heart, the authenticity, the vulnerability, the um, staying present with people, the ability to listen and really be empathetic to their story and allow people to be heard and really feel seen. It's something I've probably, I, I'm quite sure I've always been good at. I mean, I wanted to be a therapist first and foremost, right, before I did any of this, because I was like, that's the only career that I'm really going to resonate with, because I love, I, I, I love studying human nature. I love enabling people to feel they feel good about themselves, you know, feel seen and heard. So, so that is a superpower. I just, I guess I, I guess I'm now able to, women have to earn this harder, you know, now I'm able to bring that, but I, I, I'll tell you it's cause I have two books. It's because I'm, you know, at the level I'm at. And I think that we doubt ourselves before we reach that place, you know, we doubt whether that's going to be embraced in the world. And there's still, I think some skepticism around, you know, women showing this and, and then you talk about men showing the softer side and that's like a whole other interesting thing to think about, you know, how they get judged when they do that, how, when they break that sort of man code, and they are vulnerable, like what happens to them? And I'll tell you, it's not pretty. So we, we have to tackle this whole thing, I think, together, you know, as well as we talk about the genders separately and styles and all that, like the, the whole sort of masculine norm that we have to conform to is also very harmful for men. Yes, well, that's, that's exactly right. I mean, patriarchy and the systems that of oppression are really hard on men, you know, as well as as well as women as, as well as everybody. So, okay, let me ask you a few other quick questions here. Um, 
what advice would you give your younger self, say, at least, you know, 10, 15 years ago? I would say that get in, if you, and this is a professional answer, if you are planning to become a CEO of, of an organization of any size, if you're taking, you know, financial risk to grow that, if you are putting yourself out there, uh, make sure that you are you are protected in terms of like a board of advisors or mentors um, that you have that you sort of control for your, whether it's lack of experience having done this before or the fact that you don't have a lot of role models because a lot of us didn't. I mean, I didn't have any really. Um, and so what I did is joined a lot of CEO networks, which by the way, have tons of men in them. <laughs> So um, I intentionally went to, you know, WPO, like we bet we bank is like the woman, women president's organization here in New York, but there's, there's local ones all around. Um, I really spent a lot of time and I still do with other business owners um, uh, and intentionally of difference as well, because we, we have to get creative when you are outside of the power structure there are vulnerabilities you need to, t you know, make sure you're aware of. There are ways you can be taken advantage of. Um, and you don't, you know, you don't have a precedent or a path to follow. And that's the problem. So that's a big risk. So, so definitely invest in those networks, find them early, get advice from people, make sure you're, they're overseeing or contributing um, to the hiring decisions you're making um, just so that you don't make those mistakes. Because one mistake can sink a diverse owned business in a way that it wouldn't sink another kind of business. You know what I mean? Like we're sort of always close to the edge. Yes. Okay. What is your greatest challenge as a leader right now? My greatest challenge, let's think. Um, uh, well, things are going incredibly well right now. I'm, I'm thrilled to say, I mean, I, a couple of years ago, I would have answered this question to say that our greatest challenge was that diversity and inclusion was not viewed as a necessity. And, and, and things have really, really changed in the last couple of years. Honestly, probably since the 2016 elections, I'd say people sort of woke up and said, oh, my goodness, like, wait a second. You know, I I thought we were sort of, as, as MLK Jr. says, my favorite quote, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. I think we <laughs> we've discovered we need to bend the arc. We all need to jump on that arc and pull it <laughs> or push it in the direction that we want to push it. Otherwise, if again, if we sort of let leave this up to, oh, it'll just happen because that's the way things are going, we've seen that it doesn't. And in fact, it can go the other way. So so that was a huge that and that was a huge change. So business is so much easier now because companies are like, yes, please whether it's we don't want to get pulled up into the headlines for something that we did wrong or we don't want to get sued or it's we want to be a best in class employer and you know we're not able to retain certain kinds of professionals um so now the ask the energy of it is very different um i think i think um what do we struggle with we're a service based business meaning we're people based business um and as such we have uh i think challenges with scalability, sort of a feast or famine problem you always have when you have um, people resources that need to be put on projects. So we're constantly dancing with, you know, um, allocating resources, timing. Well, are you mostly contract-based, like with the 25 people that work for you? Um, 
half and half, half and half. So we decided to have um, employees for some of our team that does more sort of functional uh, non-client facing roles. And we're slowly shifting our client facing roles to be more uh, what we call W-2s. Um, but I, we're very comfortable and I've always been a 1099 company. Like I was a 1099, I was a contractor. Um, I, we have a lot of people on our team who are, have, have multiple projects. Um, some are professors, for example. And so, um, people, I think that contractor model works beautifully for companies in our space because you can expand and contract depending on how much work you have, your busy seasons, et cetera. And people want that. They don't want to be employees. And this is the new way of work that, you know, you can customize your, you can say no. You could say, oh no, I'm taking the summer off. <laughs> I can't say that, but, <laughs> but you know, folks can. And I'm really committed to that. I, I that used to be me and that was how I managed my work when I used to be a contractor for a company like mine, um, I liked it. So when you say you can't do that, you, you're you saying you can't take the summer off as the CEO of your company? <laughs> Let's work on that, Jennifer. Yeah, you're challenging <laughs> me on that. I hear you. I hear what you're doing. I know what you're doing. Yeah, I know. Someday, 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 someday. Yeah. Okay. So last couple quick questions. Uh, well, I don't know how quick, but... Um, do you identify as a feminist? Oh my gosh, yes. In fact, in fact, I would say my feminism is was the first my first coming out to myself as and and you know, it just was the biggest it was a bigger shift than coming out as LGBTQ. Um I remember I took my first women's studies class in college. And it felt that my world had been turned upside down. Literally everything I'd ever learned, everything my family had raised me to be and believe in and how I express myself in the world. I was horrified. I was dismayed. I, um, my pendulum just swung completely. And honestly, but when I came out two or three years later, when I was 22, it was nothing compared to that. Um, yeah. So, oh, cause that sort of paved the way for you to really find out who you were. Oh yeah, it did. It did. Yeah. And I, um, I would say we, we have this conversation a lot actually amongst my clients and team and stuff. Like we, we say, so which part of your identity do you feel like is sort of is foremost for you? Like which one is, is it your gender or is it your sexual orientation on any given day? Or is it your race? If you're a person of color and when you walk in a room, what are you most aware of and what do you think kind of gets in your way the most or perhaps informs biases and stereotypes? And honestly, being a woman in the business world is hardcore, like way. I mean, it, it's it that is, I, I have to say, sort of what informs my philosophy, my commitment. Um it's huge. It's, it's enormous. So I would say like, there's, I can give you 10 examples of how it, it, it happened. My gender sort of happens to me, the impacts it has on my business and my image. Well, like you said, it's more visible, right? Exactly. That's the, of course, that's the other reason. And because my LGBTness is something I can hide and I try not to hide it by the way. So I really, really try, try to show it. But it's, yeah, it doesn't necessarily show up the minute you walk in a room. Exactly. Exactly. Um, okay. So Jennifer, last question for you. What are you reading right now? What's on your nightstand? Oh my gosh. So many things. Um, I, well, I have a podcast called The Will to Change. Um, and I have guests constantly who are authors. 
And so I'm usually reading a book by one of them in order to prepare for an interview. So uh, most recently, I was reading a book called This Chair Rocks by Ashton Applewhite. Um, and she is an, uh, such a dynamic speaker on the topic of aging, uh, which is something that's fascinating to me. Um, I am reading, uh, my friend just wrote a, a co- he's an executive coach, and he wrote a book on coaching called Flex. Uh, my friend Lindsay Pollock just came out with a book called The Remix, which is about how to lead and succeed in a multi-generational workplace. And um, she's going to be on, I'm just looking at my bookshelf. Um, I interviewed, yeah, they're great books. They're great. Yeah, well, We'll link to, we love to collect these uh, recommendations from guests. So we'll put those in the show notes for sure. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you. And we'll also link to your new book, How to Be an Inclusive Leader, Your Role in Creating Cultures of Belonging Where Everyone Can Thrive. And Jennifer, it was such a pleasure having you on the show today. Well, thank you for having me. This was a really stimulating discussion. Thanks for going down some some old pathways with me. (laughs) (laughs) Old, but still relevant. That's it for our show today. Remember, if If you need support to live your Well Woman life, head over to wellwomanlife.com slash Facebook to join us. Our monthly live event, Well Woman Drinks, brings women together to share our successes and challenges as women, leaders, moms, aunts, sisters, and all the other roles we carry. If you'd like to attend a Well Woman Drinks near you, or if there isn't one in your city yet and you'd like to start one, email info at wellwomanlife.com. If you enjoyed the show, please take a moment and subscribe in iTunes and leave a review. This helps raise visibility, which is super helpful when it comes to producing the show every week. For feedback, comments, or just to let me know you are listening today, find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Well Woman Life. I'm Giovanna Rossi for The Well Woman Show. Until next time, have a super powerful week. <laughs>